Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm your host, Father John, Executive Director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming parishes. And as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Nick and Mary. How are you guys doing? Great, Father. Good yeah, morning, everybody. Great. Awesome. Morning. Nick, what's the topic today? Today's topic is Rescued Part 2. What difference does this make? The this, referring to Jesus' death and resurrection. But before we begin that topic, Father John, will you open us in prayer today? Yeah, absolutely. So Father, we just ask for your uh, anointing upon our conversation right now, that we would uh, lift up your son, mindful that he promised that when he is lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. And so we pray that through our words right now, uh, you would draw all those who are listening uh, to your son and through him to come to know you, our Father, and their identity is uh, your beloved sons and daughters. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Father. Nick, you got a, uh, a little technical public service <laughs> announcement for us, don't you? That's right. A little, little disclaimer for our, our <laughs> listeners out there. So at Acts 29, we haven't, even, we haven't even been in business, if you will, yet uh, a year, right? And so as part of being an entrepreneurial startup, we have not quite hit the mark on consistently getting these out. On, uh, on Mondays like we would like. So for all of you who are out there um, going, man, what, 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 the, what day does this <laughs> podcast come out and, and seeing the sporadicness? Yeah, that is, that is not by design. That the is answer by, is yes. The answer is yes. It comes out. It comes out. <laughs> so anyway, we're working on that, and uh, eventually uh, you'll see that it is, it is up every Monday. So um, that being said, you're finding us right now, if you're joining us, uh, Rescued Part 2. And what we've been doing these last few podcasts, these episodes, has been walking through the gospel, which we break into four parts, right? Created, captured, rescued, response. So if, you're, if this is your first time or you haven't heard those other ones, we really recommend you go back, find the created podcast, and, and play there first to walk through these. So you can really hear the gospel in its fullness mm-hmm. and its entirety and in its, in its order. Because there's an order for a reason, right? So created is this, this, the grandeur, the wonder, the awe of God and creation. Captured is the bad news, you know, what, what, um, what, what happened when sin and death entered the world. And then rescued is what Jesus has done about it, right? And uh, what God's done about the problem of, um, of uh, sin and death. And then the last, this, this last part is response. Yeah, so Mary, you were talking earlier, you know, we, we, uh, we're all big fans of Alpha and uh, Nikki Gumbel and the, the great movement that that is and how it leads people into an encounter. How's Nikki talk about, uh, he often interviews people. Yeah, so towards the end of the course, uh, he, he would invite people uh, to answer a set of questions. And one of the questions that he would ask was simply this, it's a great question, what difference does Jesus make? And that's really, that's really what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. What difference does what he did on the cross make in your life and in mine. And I don't think a lot of people really know the answer to that, quite honestly. I mean, so they see Jesus on a cross and that we celebrate Easter, but when we just keep living our daily lives as if that had no practical mm. impact mm-hmm. in my life. And the truth is anything but that, right? So a friend of ours uh, back at the parish we came from used to always say, so what, now what? And so, you know, we looked at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, now what? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next time when we talk about a response. But before we talk about the response, we just want to highlight some of the things that happened as a result of Jesus's resurrection from the dead. So we're going to highlight a few. First, he has destroyed death. That's like really good news. He's transferred us. He's recreated us. He's rendered sin impotent. He's humiliated the enemy. He's given us authority over the enemy, 
and he sent us on mission to get his world back. So what we want to do right now, we just want to try to unpack some of those and speak into them uh, in a way that has changed our lives, right? So first, mm-hmm. he's destroyed death. People, this is extraordinary news, right? <laughs> I mean, like, it's the only thing everybody knows is going to happen. I'm going to die. Like, like it or not, I'm going to die, and so are you. But the reality of what has happened because of Jesus' death and resurrection is, though death will claim me, it can't hold me, and it can't hold those I love. So St. Paul, in one of his letters, uh, encourages his uh, brothers and sisters, let, you know, be clear about those who sleep in death, lest you grieve like those who have no hope. And so Paul's, Paul's not saying, hey, people, stop grieving. That's not the Christian message at all. Like, I grieve intensely over my mom's death, my dad's, my brother's, lots of people that I love. Paul says, no, don't grieve like those who have no hope. The world has no hope. We have hope because Jesus has bound death. Paul says again uh, in one of his letters to Timothy, he has abolished death. Wow, that was a resounding thud. That was great. (laughs) Like that was the clashing symbol here as I hit the microphone, right? He's abolished death. Like who can do that? You know, Jesus says to John in Revelation, behold, once I was dead, now I'm alive. Mm. Like who do you know who can say something like that, right? I used to be dead once, but uh, I'm alive now. So you don't have to worry. And my friend, your friend, Mm. our brother, our Lord, holds in his hands, he says, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And because he does, I don't have to be afraid, right? So, Mary, I remember being with you and your husband, Steve, when your father died. I remember watching you grieve intensely. Mm -hmm. You've been, Mm -hmm. you know, with me and my family as Mm -hmm. we've grieved. Um, And yet, even though the tears continue to fall, right, I can cry with hope. You can cry with hope for your dad, right? Yeah, and, you know, there's that human, like you said, there's that human part of it. Uh, but I also watched my, my dad pass to the Lord with that hope, right? So he was ready to go, and so he passed away confident that the abundant life that had been promised him, he was going to inherit that eternal life. And I remember he had said to my mom shortly before he passed away, he said, I will be able to do far more for you when I get home to heaven than I can do for you now. So my dad was confident in the promises of God, right? But, and and it, I think one of the, I was praying about this the other day, and it was as if, you know, I could see like a, um, a door, like right here in our conference room, and where there once was a no exit sign, Jesus has taken that no exit sign off the door, like, like there is an escape from death. Yeah, like he is image. the door that we walk through to eternal life. And my daddy knew that. And I know your mom and dad did too, Father. Yeah, and this point is huge, right? So let, let me just speak if I can, because I know, I, I hear oftentimes as a priest, especially when parents have lost children. I, I, I mean, I can't fathom the loss of a child, right? I know the fathom, I know the, the pain of loss, but not a child. I'm not a dad, um, not, not an earthly father anyway. But I, I, I hear people oftentimes say things like, and I understand this on one level, but it's important to speak into it, like, what a tragedy. They died so young. Now, tragedy for us, oh my gosh, are you kidding? You know, like, all the years that we would have liked to have spent with those that we've loved who died young, I mean, from our perspective, massive tragedy. But not from their perspective. Right? I mean, the, the all-important question for those who've died, who've died in Jesus, is where are they? 
And heaven is more, not less. Paul says, you know, life is Christ, death is gain, gain right? Death is gain. So nobody in heaven, like no child who's died, as, as horrific as the pain is for us, which will be long, you know, until the Lord comes and brings us home, nobody in heaven is sitting there going, oh, man. Like, I never got to drive, <laughs> or I never got to go on a date, or I never got to go see Tahiti. Like, nobody's missing anything in heaven. <laughs> heaven is the fulfillment of all desires. And so this is all because of the fact that Jesus has destroyed death. And so I don't have to be afraid of it, and I can grieve for those I love with great hope. Let me give you one more last story, if I can, real quick. My first pastor, um, when I was a young associate, Father uh, Monsignor Herman Cusick, a divine child in Dearborn, Michigan, phenomenal guy. First funeral I ever did with him, uh, he was burying one of his best friends. And I remember him looking at his wife, who was also one of his best friends. And he says, I just want to remind you, he says, you're never closer to those you love than when you come to mass. Because there's really only one mass. And it happens in heaven. And every time we walk into Mass, we walk into heaven. And the whole church is there. Like all the angels and saints, all the souls in purgatory, and all the faithful on earth, even if you can't see them. Like we participate in the one saving act of Jesus. And he says, and when the Eucharist is held up, it becomes something like a two-way mirror. And those we love are on one side, and we're on the other. And we see what looks like bread, but it's not bread. And they see the Lord. And our eyes meet in the host, in Jesus. And I just thought, man, that is a phenomenal image. Every time I hold up the host, like I see my mom and my dad and my brother and all my friends on the other side. And I just talk to them all the time. I mean, so because of what Jesus has done, we can talk to those we love. We can pray for them first. That's the most important thing to do, right? Um, To make sure they're home. And then if they're home, just like you said about your dad, man, they're going to be helping us. So Amen. Um, all that is a result of what he's done. Blessed be Jesus. So he's destroyed death. huh? A second thing that he's done is he's transferred us. So what's that mean? So St. Paul says in Colossians, he has, this is God, God has delivered us, rescued us, freed us from the dominion of darkness or the lordship of darkness, the rule of darkness, And he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Nick, when's this happen? Baptism. Yeah, this this is a real moment, right? That's so powerful. So you guys are looking forward to a baptism. You got two little kids and you're about to have a third? We are about to have a third. We're having a little girl, right? So my wife Emily's pregnant. Just a few more weeks uh, until this little girl comes. We have two boys, so yay for a girl. Anyway, with all the anticipation we have, I know as a father that baptism is absolutely essential for this sweet, precious little girl to become a child of the kingdom of God. Like, I know, I know when she's born, she's not, she is not yet in the hands of the Father, right? Like, she needs, she needs something that I cannot give her, that Emily cannot give her, in order for her to grow. And in that, um, I think a great image that we've talked about just a moment ago, Father John, is God is planting the seed... Mm. And my job as, as a father is to water that seed 
and, and to cultivate that so she can really grow and blossom. That's why we ask you the questions of baptism. Do you understand what you are undertaking, that it will be your task to bring her up to keep God's law and his commandments according to how Christ has taught us, right? Right. I, I would encourage my brothers and sisters out there, the next time you see a, a hear, witness a baptism at, like, during Mass or, or just next time you're at any baptism, really listen yeah, to what the priest is saying and what the godparents, and especially the parents are saying yes to and agreeing to, it is so powerful. I think we, we mistakenly think that the sacraments are empty rituals. These are extraordinary moments of grace. So, like, everybody thinks every child is really sweet and innocent, or at least most of them are. I don't think I was. But um, the reality is, like Paul's saying here, this child, when it's, before it's presented to the font, before it receives the regenerative powers of the Spirit through the waters of baptism, it belongs to the dominion of darkness. Meaning what? Meaning it's powerless against sin and it's powerless against death. No matter how cute it might look, it's born, sold into slavery, and baptism delivers it from that. Or the Lord, through baptism, delivers the child or the adult, if the adult's baptized, from those powers, from that tyranny, by what he does through the sacrament, right? That's right. And, and one, one other thing that's just crazy, like how, how powerful is God in the face of our enemies, right? You're watching the most simple gesture, right? Water and a priest simply saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. That simple act actually delivers that child from one kingdom to the next. Yeah, it's as if they get a new baptism or a, a new uh, uh, birth certificate, right? That's how I often think about it. You know, so as a priest, I'm handing a parent or the godparent after a baptism, you know, the, the cute little certificate. You know, here's little baby Jorgensen, you know, take this and frame it and whatever. Well, as cute as that little piece of paper is, it stands for, you just got new papers. You were born a child of darkness. You just became <clears throat> a child of your heavenly father. And I remember... Um, great friend of mine, a tremendous brother named uh, Pastor Michael Van Horn, used to be the pastor of uh, Trinity Baptist Church here in Metro Detroit. And I heard him tell a story one time. He's a great preacher. And he just said, so imagine, if you will, growing up in a home that's dysfunctional as all get out. There's verbal abuse. There's physical abuse. You do everything you can as a child to stay away, right? You get involved in every sport in school, every extracurricular activity you can take, you know, take on. You're always playing outside with the kids. And when you have to come home, you just sneak in because you don't want to wake up your mom and dad because plates will fly quite literally. And this goes on for years. And across the street lives this incredibly happy family. And your window faces their house. And every day you can hear the father outside on the front lawn playing with the kids. And, and, and you're just jealous as all get out of this family. And then one day, you know, when you're home alone, you hear a knock on the door and you go down, you open the door and it's the dad from across the street. And he looks at you and he says, hey, would you like to come live with us? And you don't even pack. And Michael would say, that's baptism. That's adoption. Because that's what happens when you're baptized. You move from the kingdom, the household of a tyrant, right, Satan, and his powers, death and sin, into the household of a good father where you're loved, not for anything you've done or haven't done, simply for who you are, right? So he's transferred mm. us. What else has he done? 
he's recreated us. <laughs> you know, Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians, I know this is a favorite passage of yours, Mary. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You want to speak into that? Yeah, so how many times have we said about ourselves or or others, like, that's just the way I am, or that's just the way they are, and they're never going to change. But blessed be Jesus, we know that's that's not true. I'm not stuck, and you're not stuck. And that's the premise of the entire Christian life, that, mm. that we can change. And it's not by rolling up our sleeves and trying harder and trying to muscle through. It, 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 it comes by way of surrendering and acknowledging our powerlessness and asking God to come into our lives. So, Father John, you talk often about you know, the creator of the universe that's 46 billion light years across, the one who created all of that can recreate me. And when I was in college being discipled in my early, uh, those first few years of college, that was one of the first verses my brothers and sisters opened up for me, that I can be made new. Like the old has passed away, behold, all things are new. The hope that instills in our hearts is, is dramatic, Right. Yeah, absolutely. This has been my theme for Lent. You know, here we are as we're talking this anyway. It's the first full week of Lent, and the image Jesus has given me is um, he's the artist, and he's just like pulling me, the piece of art, back into the artist's studio, and he's recreating me. He's restoring me. He's First of all, he, he's showing me what it is that needs to be recreated, mm-hmm. bringing that to my attention, reminding me, you know, this has happened to you or you've done this to yourself uh, and by the way, you can't fix you, but I can. Mm-hmm. So you just have to present yourself to me, surrender to me, and let me fix you. We, we talk oftentimes, what's the, uh, there's, a, there's a nebula in the constellation Orion oh, yeah, called the, the Orion, Orion Nebula, nebula mm-hmm. uh, which they call a star making, they call it a star, <laughs> star nursery, nursery, right? Yeah. So there, there are still stars being created at this moment. And the God who makes the stars is able to recreate me. Like right now, as you're listening to this right now, you might be frustrated. You might feel like my life is just stuck. I'm a failure, whatever it is. It's not true. Like if you surrender to God, he can begin to recreate you right now and become the person that not only he made you to be, but that you want to be, which is really good news. It is especially good news. For our brothers, our priests, right? I mean, it, it's the moment I started to be, work in professional ministry, if, if you want to say it that way, it, you just start to, Satan loves to use it as like that laser, like you can't change, like you can't say that, like all this stuff comes at you, like God can still recreate you now, no matter what. And I think it's not about trying harder, right? Like in this American culture, it's like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, try harder, and you know, and it's like all about, I'm a self-made man. Right, and that is just such a farce, because it's God's power right. and my surrender to Him that actually brings real change. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I've witnessed in our work together is so after we bring priests on on a, kind of like this one day retreat, then the four of you, you two, and then Deacon Steve and Chris, you offer to pray over priests if anybody wants to come forward. And so we just expose the Blessed Sacrament. I kind of lead the guys through a, a recommitment prayer as priests, you know, as, as one of their brothers. And then we just say, hey, if, if you guys want to go get prayed with for right now, for whatever reason, go ahead. And, and, you know, when you guys do this, you pray for hours over 
the brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's guys who, you know, since they've gotten ordained, that you know, their lives have been, you know, it's not been a straight trajectory to sainthood. You know, just like mine, there's been falls and stumbles and sins, and some have been grievous, some of them haven't, but it doesn't matter. Like, no one's perfect yet. And so you guys are there praying over them. And we often watch guys, I often watch them as they're going up to you, and they come in kind of heavy, and their shoulders are down. And then you pray with them, and then they tell us this afterwards because we ask them, like, how did God minister to you? And they leave their light free, free, rejuvenated, poured into, filled with hope. Like, I'm not defined by my past. I can start again. So, I mean, this is extraordinary news, not just for, you know, those of us who don't have collars, but also for those of us who do, who mm-hmm. feel like, well, you know, like maybe it's too late for me or I should have known better or whatever the case might have been. So I'm, I'm thinking about St. Teresa of Avila. Didn't she, when she would go with her sisters for confession and then when they would come out of the confessional, she would put her hand on the back of her sisters and say, now begin again. Yeah, I love that line. And, and so that, you know, confession is that, is confession considered a second baptism, Father? Is it that, is. So, so we can start over all the time, right? We can begin again every single day. That's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for <laughs> yeah, what you've done. That, yeah. Amen Glory to that. So Lord. connected with this, an, another effect, right? Another difference Jesus' death and resurrection makes um, is he's, this is a hard one to get a hold of, he's rendered sin impotent, you know, powerless. So in Romans 6, Paul says, uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him. This was in baptism again so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. That's what Paul says. What the heck does that mean? It it means quite simply, and, and rather humblingly actually, that I don't have to sin anymore. Like, I do all the time. But I don't have to. I do still. I mean, I still struggle with sin because I've got memories. I've got habits. You know, I've got the inclination to sin that we were born with, concupiscence, that kind of fancy word for, you know, the inclination to sin. But I actually don't have to sin, and neither do you. Like, I can be a saint today if I wanted to be, and if I would really surrender to God and let him take over, right? Yeah, that reality, we don't have to sin anymore, is, uh, it's kind of shocking, you know? So if, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, you don't know my life, you know, or... or or I'm, I'm just too stuck. It's like, no, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what baptism and the sacraments, and that's what the Spirit living in us gives us the power to do, is to, is to fight back. So Nick, as I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of a line that, that has caught my heart for years. I've even seen it on a billboard on 94. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. Mm. There's no saint without a past, and there's no sinner without a future. That gives me great hope, because if you look at the lives of the early saints— they weren't all neat and tidy, and neither has mine been. So that gives me great hope. Yeah, Mary would be the only exception to that. You right? are not correct. You, you not are you, correct. but the Virgin Mary. You are correct, Mother Father. Of God, she had no past, right? <laughs> yeah, now, now, Pastor, let me just speak into this real quick, because um, though it's true I don't have to sin, and though it's true that you don't have to sin, sin's been rendered impotent, um, we do. And I know a lot of people, you know, I know this from myself going to confession, because most of us confess the same things over and over again. Yep. Like I can say that as a confessor. Um, I confess the same things over and over again, and that can breed frustration. So I can, God can change me, right? But also sometimes our struggles, this is so hard to grasp, our struggles help us to grow in humility. Mm. Um, They remind us that we're a creature, 
that we need the Father and his love. And God can, you know, strange as this might sound, God can handle my sin. Because it, it reminds me again and again, like, I'm not a peer of Jesus. You know, I used to think that. And I struggle personally with, like, I want to be perfect. And, and if I'm really honest, I want to be perfect not so much because I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to be perfect because I'm just tired of failing sometimes. And that's not, that's not necessarily the best thing. Right? Right, no, I can relate that's to just that. pride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, and, and I think at the root of that, um, perhaps like many people, I have a really honestly hard time believing that you could love me if I'm not perfect. Mm. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. But I'll tell you, I don't think I experience God's love anywhere like I do in confession. Mm-hmm. I go to the same guys for confession all the time. They know me, you know? And um, and so I go there and, you know, like you don't walk into the confession and go, hey, it was a great week or a great two weeks. Let me tell you all the highlights. You're telling them the lowlights, <laughs> you know? And to see somebody um, respond to you, not as the ideal you, but as you really are, you know, or, or mm-hmm. you at your worst, and smile at you and tell you the Father loves you give you absolution. Like, I just don't experience God's love like I do in confession. Because most of us, when we're in interactions with people, deep behind my, you know, my facade is, man, if you knew what I struggle with, you would run a million miles away. And that's just not true with us and God. So don't be frustrated if you... You know, if sin hasn't been totally rendered impotent in your life yet. <laughs> it's, it's not eradicated. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's right. It's going to take some time, right? But Father John, we want to avoid uh, two extremes, right? You just talked about this a moment ago. What are, what are those extremes we're trying to avoid? Yeah, so on the one hand, it's not like, okay, well, I'm human. I guess I'm always going to struggle, so I get a free pass, you know? So no big deal if I sin. That's not true. Sin, sin always hurts me, and it hurts others. Uh, even in ways we don't understand. But on the other side, we want to avoid the extreme of, I have to, if sin has been rendered impotent, then I have to be flawless and done with it all right now. No, just continually get up and keep trying. Uh, um, great guy, Adam Plomeritis, you know, who used to help us out with worship. He Love gave Adam. a great yep. story one time to our, uh, our teens, and he was trying to explain this. He was a young father, and I think his boy was just learning how to walk. And he would tell the story of watching his son crawl on the floor, and then he'd get to a chair, and he'd pull himself up, and he'd stand, and he'd kind of wobble, and then he'd fall down, right? And then he'd start to pull himself back up again and try to stand. And he says, so, you know, like, as a dad, when I'm watching my son do this, I didn't look at him and go, stupid baby, what's wrong (laughs) with you? He's like, that's my son. Hmm. And he's trying and look at him grow, and look at him exert the effort, and look at him keep getting up. And if that's him with his earthly child, Imagine. then how much more with our father, right? I think we're always just so afraid, like the father's just waiting to catch us and doing something wrong. And instead, I, in a way that's maybe hard for us to believe, he delights in watching us continue to exert the effort and the struggle and to cooperate with his grace. So... Praise, wow. praise be Jesus for that. That's a, that's a powerful image. I'm very grateful you shared that. Father John, this next one is one of your favorites, right? The, as, in terms of what difference does this make? Yeah, I mean, so Jesus has humiliated the enemy. <laughs> and I do love this, right? So um, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that 
God has disarmed the principalities and powers, or, or more literally, he stripped them naked. He's disrobed them. Now, who are the principalities and powers? They're what we were talking about in capture, death, capital D, sin, capital S, um, hell, Satan. And he's made a public example of them or um, humiliated them, triumphing over them in him or in his cross. Now, you know, we read that, and I don't know what goes through your mind. You know, for, and for many years, I don't know what through, went through my mind either until I learned what a triumph is. So when Paul's writing this, everybody knows what he's alluding to, and he's alluding to what was technically called a triumph. And a triumph in the Roman Empire was like a mega parade in an empire known for parades, which had very precise conditions connected to it. And one of the best examples I've ever heard of a triumph was Julius Caesar fighting uh, the Gallic Empire for eight years. And then at the end of the, the, uh, the battle with Gaul, they apprehend the king of Gaul and they, they bring him to Caesar, who's now seated on his throne, still up in the, the northern part of Italy. And the king of Gaul is standing there. Suddenly, the, uh, one of the soldiers comes by, slits his robe, and the king of Gaul is now naked. They push the king down to the ground. They thrust the Roman eagle in front of him. They make him kiss it. That's the symbol of Rome, as if to say, like, you lost, dude. They stand him up. They chain his hands behind him. They put him in a cage. And then they begin to ride back to Rome. This is the beginning of a triumph. And then days later or weeks later into Rome, marching down, you know, the royal way towards the forum, comes Caesar in his chariot, all dressed in a particular way, and behind him is this long line of captives, all the things that he's captured in his battle. And at the end of the line is a cage with a man in it, with no clothes on, chained, and a sign above his head that says, this is the one that used to threaten us. He won't do that anymore. That's what Paul's talking about when he writes this. This is what Jesus has done to the enemy. There is no competition between him and the enemy. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. As a man, uh, you know, thinking about my brothers right now, you can't, I can't think of a more masculine, powerful image of Jesus as, as warrior than to think, like, just to try to imagine this triumph. Like, this is what the Lord has done. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us and to our enemy. Um, he is not just kind. Yeah, that's right? right. That's right. He's not just merciful. He is a warrior who has conquered and continues to fight for us. I mean, that, that, that should rally us as men uh, to want to follow this man. Yeah, I, I, you know, we, we use the expression, you know, it's usually just the ending of our prayer. Jesus is Lord. And I think that's all it becomes for most of us. It's the ending of a prayer. But when Paul says those words, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, um, that's, that's politically charged language. Everybody in the Roman Empire knows what Paul is talking about because Rome acknowledges a different Lord, and that different Lord is Caesar. And Jesus is actually, Paul, saying, no, 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 the real Lord, that's Jesus. Caesar's a pretend, he's a fraud, he's a charade. Even more so, Satan is. There's no competition between our Lord and the enemy because one is God and one's a creature. And I think oftentimes we perceive that God is weak, hmm. wrongly, and we think the enemy is strong. So 
Paul's reminding us, no, this is not true. And Satan knows it. Satan knows he's lost. But here, here's the, the thing we want to be careful of. We don't want to go to the extreme on this either. Um, we don't want to encourage people to be naive. This is not at all and all clear as if, you know, like we don't have to continue to struggle. Peter writes in uh, one of his letters, you know, stay awake, be watchful, be sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Or, you know, Revelation talks about how, you know, woe to you, O earth, for the devil is amongst you and he knows, he knows his time is short. And so we have to constantly be vigilant because though the, the enemy has lost definitively the war, the battles are still ongoing. And so there's a constant need for us to be vigilant, huh? Absolutely. So Paul says, Jesus is Lord. Them are fighting words. And nobody else <laughs> is, by the way. So we, we just want to hit one more uh, difference that Jesus makes, and that's uh, he's given us authority over the enemy. And so uh, there's a lot of passages to look at here. You know, think of the Great Commission, you know, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and teach all people to believe, you know, all that I have handed on to you. Um, or uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, where Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. It's important, right, to know that these aren't just words that Jesus was speaking to the apostles. These are words that Jesus is speaking to you and me right now. And I know you guys love to speak into this. Maybe Nick as a dad, like, how do you as a father um, exercise this authority, which is God's, which has been given to you as a father for two, now a third child on the way? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that, Father. So as I learned and stepped into the truth that I have truly been given authority in my family in a unique way, I just remember one time coming home, um, and uh, walking into the house, this is some months ago now, and just being like, there is such a funk here, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody was doing anything wrong or anything like that. There was, there, was no, there, was no, there was no real conflict going on. It was just like, there's like this weird, you could just feel that weird mood. And there was no rhyme or reason for it. So like, my boys were kind of, you know, just off. Emily's off. I'm feeling off. It's like, some, I almost describe it as like a silly funk in the house. So I, I go upstairs to change after work and put something more comfortable on. And I'm sitting up there and I'm like, Lord, what's going on here? And he's like, you know what to do. I've equipped you for this. And so I, I was like, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, oh, yeah. So I just walked out, and, um, and, and no one in my family knew. They were all just kind of doing their thing. And I just, I just stood up, raised my hands, and just said, you know, in the name of Jesus, I just cast out uh, frustration, distraction. Spirit of funkiness. Spirit of, spirit of <laughs> annoyance, right? Just like all the, all the stuff I could just think of that came to mind. And so I decided to take authority over it in Jesus' name, and I cast it on my home right now. And Father, I just ask you to just, in that place, just put peace and joy and love. And I'm not joking. Almost instantly, but certainly 30 minutes later, people are dancing, people are laughing, people are having a great time. And it was like, that was a very real moment where I'm exercising the authority God gave me um, to, to kick Satan out, to kick, kick out the spiritual attack that was happening right there. That's, the, that's you exercising your priesthood, which was given to you in baptism, mm-hmm. in the first church, which is the domestic church, which is the home and the family. And I think oftentimes, you know, my experience is watching parents struggle with what things that are going on when their kids are still home especially feeling powerless and helpless and impotent when, in fact, you have, just as you described, uh, authority, power given to you by God to care for those who are entrusted to your care, right? Right. You know, as I'm listening to you guys talk about this, you know, Father, you make the point that, you know, it's not an all clear. Like the enemy is going to continue to, like, nip at our heels constantly, 
and we would like to think we're never going to have to fight again or struggle. But we've, we're not rendered powerless. We have that authority. And um, still to this day, like, like I will fight the lies, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, the accusations. And um, we're equipped now to fight against that. So it's just, in the name of Jesus, I renounce, you know, the lie that I'm unwanted or that I'm a nuisance, you know, and then I start to declare truth into my life. Um, there was a, I think it was with you, Father, earlier in the week, I just had this sense of confusion over my mind. There wasn't a reason for it. There was nothing externally going on, and I knew what that was. Mm. So in the name of Jesus, I cast out that spirit of confusion. He's always going to be, like, around us. You know, I, I, I say this often, the Christian life is not a dream. It's mm. a battle. Right. We're engaged in a battle, and that's nothing to be afraid of, and that's nothing to run from, right. but we're equipped to fight, and God's fighting for us. Right. And so to the degree that we can be really aware, you know, of what's happening, like you in your home, and, or, or me in my mind, or, or me with my family, just to name it, and in that moment, start to pray. And he flees. He'll be back, right. but he flees. That's right. And we, we claim the victory for Jesus. So God equips us. That's, that's the whole point of what we're trying to share right now. You know, as we look at these, you know, so what, now what's. So, you know, as we live our lives now until the Lord comes for us or he comes back, whichever comes first, um, as I continue to live this battle, which will be relentless until the Lord comes back in glory, I'm not, you know, a helpless pawn floating in the water. You know, I'm not like a little buoy bobbing up and down. I have uh, grace given to me that started in baptism when he transferred me. Um, I have authority given to me that I can exercise, whether I'm a mom or a dad or a priest. And God's asking us, reminding us, use that. You know, listen to me. Be attentive to how the enemy's coming after you and those you love. And use this authority and be an instrument in my hands to bring about recreation in this world until one day I, the Lord, finally come back and put it all back together, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's where we're going to go next, right? So really from here on in, what we want to talk about is uh, one of the most of important effects uh, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is that he sent you and me out on mission to get his world back. And, and we're going to spend, you know, quite honestly, most of the rest of our podcasts talking about this. Because we heard a guy uh, not too long ago, a great priest friend of mine, I happened to sneak into church and just go to Mass so I could spy on him. Um, actually, I didn't go to spy on him. I just went to be there and see what's going on because it's a really cool parish, and I wanted to see what all the buzz was about. But I heard him say something like, our mission is to get to heaven. And so I, I happened to catch him afterwards, and I just said, hey, man, great homily. loved it. Can I just ask you a question? Is that really what the mission is? Is our mission to get to heaven, or is our mission to be instruments in God's hands to recreate the world and to bring it back into harmony with the Father's original plan. Mindful of the fact that, like, we can't do that, you know, like, we can't build the kingdom here on earth, but we can build for For. the kingdom. That's what N.T. Wright Wright says, right? I do too. And so that's our mission. And so we're going to spend the whole, most of the rest of our podcast talking about how do we do this? How do we let God use us as instruments in our daily life, transform this culture in which we live. And that's why it's so important to constantly remember that we don't have to be afraid. God is with us. We were born for this moment. Mm -hmm.